We've been in this mini-series. We broke from Fresh Encounters with Jesus, which we'll return to next week. We've broken from that to do a three-week series called Prayer, the Heart of the Matter. Two weeks ago, we dealt with the privilege of prayer. Last week, power in prayer. And today, problems in prayer. Many of us struggle in prayer. And so I'm going to address a bunch of issues that have been texted, emailed to me this week. You'll see 12 questions that we're going to answer that are common struggles in prayer. Because prayer is so powerful, because Satan attacks us in our prayer life, because the Word says so much about it, because it has the potential to expand the kingdom of God, push back the kingdom of darkness, there's going to be challenges. Nothing good is easy. The greater the value, the more difficult it can be. And that is definitely true in prayer. Many of us go through seasons of prayer. You know we're doing really good in prayer when we're focusing on it as a church. Maybe your prayer life is kind of getting better and better in these last few weeks. Uh, but then it can easily fade off. It reminds me of the pastor's wife who said, Honey, you, pre you preaching a series on marriage this week? He said, Yes, how'd you know? She said, Because you're treating me so good. <laughs> and so sometimes we, 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 we see these seasons where it gets good because we're focusing on it and giving it attention and we're focusing on what the Word says. But then once the series is done, is, is, is the temperature going to come back down? And so we're going to address a number of issues today. It's going to be a different message than I usually give. You know, I usually like to be in one passage, expository, so this one's not the way I normally like to do it, but it's going to be super practical. Number one, what if I have little to no desire? I would say here, first, be honest with God about that struggle. One thing I love about the book of Psalms is the total honesty and transparency of King David and others. They just pour out their heart and even complain to God. And that's okay. He can handle it. He knows it anyway. We're just getting really honest with ourselves. And I would also add, just listen to messages like my last two messages on prayer. Read books on prayer. Because if there's no desire, then it's probably because your convictions are low. You see, conviction, which comes from the Word, drives motivation. And so if the, if the desire isn't there, then you probably need to just get back to truth, get back to the Word, get back to what it says. And I think that will fuel your emotions. But the bottom line is this, you do it even if you don't feel like it. Come on. I don't always feel like tithing. I don't always feel like forgiving people. <laughs> I don't always feel like getting in the Word. But you do it, and when you do it, God blesses obedience. He always blesses obedience. So when you do what He commands you to do, He's going to bless it. And so ask God to give you a greater desire. Now that prayer would be according to His will, right? You don't pray, God, increase my desire to pray, if it be Your will. <laughs> of course it's His desire. So ask Him to give it to you. Number two, how do I control my wandering thoughts? Here's a, a text I got this week. I have a cousin who's struggling in her relationship with God in general. But one of the biggest ways in which she's struggling is prayer because she feels like she can't focus long enough. Can you relate? As in, she'll start to pray, her thoughts will wander, and then several minutes will go by, and all of a sudden she's hardly prayed at all and just walks away feeling discouraged and disconnected. I think that is a common struggle. It happens to me too, but I just don't let it stop me. That's a good line. So with this, I think it's common because, think about it, you're closing your eyes to try to shut out the world, but sometimes it makes you fall asleep. <laughs> and then you all of a sudden start thinking of all the things you need to do. This is why I've said many times, I keep a to-do list right in front of me. So if things come to mind I need to do, I just put it on that list. 
I'll get to it later. But I'm not going to let it keep me from this time with God right now because this is the most important. And we live in a culture where we're just bombarded with information. Constant information on our phones and in media. And so we've got all this stuff swirling around us and it can create a more difficult environment to just focus on the Lord. So this is a common struggle. And you just have to press through. Colossians 4 and 2 gives us guidance. It says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind. Isn't that good? So even the Scriptures acknowledge you need to have an alert mind. And that word alert in the Greek means to give strict attention to, be vigilant, watch. It was like a soldier watching for the enemy. And so you're being vigilant. It's intentional. And with a thankful heart. Choosing to be thankful. So here's a few things I found helpful here besides coffee. <laughs> is pray out loud. Sometimes just hearing yourself pray out loud helps you stay awake, stay focused. I have really found it helpful to keep a notebook. Now, I don't use this every day, but, but this notebook, I have my prayer life organized. So on Mondays, I pray for certain things. Tuesdays, I pray for certain things. Wednesdays, I pray for certain things. And so this just helps guide me. I have a page, kind of urgent prayers. Things that people have shared with me. And they're just more urgent matters. And so that can help. Praying with others helps. I personally, and we'll get to this later, but I personally find it easier to pray with others. Now, others experience the opposite of that. But when you're praying with others, it helps you stay more focused. Um, although, I have had times, I'll just admit, one of my most, embar my most embarrassing moments in my whole life was taking a group to Haiti. 17 college students. We're going to do missions. And I asked the host woman who's cooking us dinner, when was she due? Not pregnant. How do you crawl in a hole really fast? So I will never ask a woman again if she's pregnant. I mean, she could be a basketball and have a, a shirt that says baby pointing. I'm not asking. I'm telling you. I am not asking. But my second most embarrassing moment was falling asleep in a group prayer time and snoring. Hey, you laugh because you've done it too. If you haven't, then you probably haven't done much group praying. <laughs> but praying with others sometimes can help. Number three, what if I don't know what to pray? Or I don't know if I'm praying correctly or biblically or effectively. Oh, wow, this is a big one. Got several people sent in this this week. First suggestion is pray the Word. Pray biblical prayer. One of my doctoral projects was the prayers of Paul. And you got the two prayers in Ephesians, and a prayer in Colossians, and a prayer in Philippians. And so pray a biblical prayer. Get an Old Testament prayer, First Chronicles 29. I mean, so that can help here. But here is the biggest help here on how to know if you're praying effectively. Use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. Brooks talked about this a little in his message, but the, the Lord's Prayer becomes, it's a beautiful pattern for prayer. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with literally praying the actual words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, how to... But I mean, a lot of people do it just kind of by rote, right? You know, and it doesn't mean anything. I think Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer more than words to pray itself, which again is not wrong, as a pattern. First of all, you begin with praise. So you use this as a pattern. Our Father who art in holy is your name. Lord, I just worship you, I bless you. Then you go to priorities. Pray kingdom things. This would be praying for lost people, praying for your family to become more mature. 
praying for anything that, ma- that matters to the kingdom. God, your kingdom come. May, may, may our church be on fire for you. May we be a, a, a light in, in a dark culture. Those kind of things. Provision. Then, then pray about your day. You got this coming up. You got this appointment. You got this thing. That's just a good way to pray for the things coming up in your day. Then go to purity. God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Anything, Lord, I need to surrender to you. Is there anything that I need to confess to you or someone else? That's a great way to keep your heart pure. Then power. Go into spiritual warfare. Prayer. Go the power section. Things that you believe might be under demonic control or demonic influence or strongholds in people's lives. And then you end in praise. So you use this as a pattern. This is a great way to help guide your prayer time. And when you're praying in line with these headings, you know you're praying in line with the will and the Word of God. Because that's why Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. Number four, do I pray only to the Father? I had a few text me this week, you know, is it okay to pray to Jesus? Is it okay to pray to the Holy Spirit? Now Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven. Now listen closely. Each person of the Trinity is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says he doesn't see anything in the Word that would forbid us from praying to Jesus. Stephen did in Acts 7. Or even praying to the Holy Spirit. But it would seem that the dominant approach is to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. Okay? And it's interesting, in John 15, Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name. But then in John 14, he says, you may ask anything, you may ask me for anything in my name. So right there, Jesus said, you can ask me, you can ask the Father. And so again, I don't think it's like, ah, you didn't do it right. You you know, you, you address God wrongly. You know, you're out. You know, you get the big gong. Prayer not gonna be answered. And so John Piper, I think, has a great quote here. He says, Pray to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name and by the authority and the merit of the Son. This is the Bible's Trinitarian prayer structure. But again, there's nothing wrong, I don't think, with praying to Jesus and praying to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, guide me. I think He loves that. All right, number five. If God is sovereign, why do we need to pray? Now, this has been a big one for me personally, I'll be honest. Since He is sovereign, because I am very much about the sovereignty of God. I am more in the reform theological camp, if you want to put me in a camp. Um, but again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, what do we call it? Just, I'm not so dogmatic about it. It's like when I had a class at Trinity with Dr. D.A. Carson, we asked him, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? He said, I'm a Calminian. <laughs> Bible teaches God's sovereignty and election and God, and the Bible teaches that we have a choice to make and how you reconcile the two. You don't have to reconcile two friends. They're not enemies. <laughs> and I love that answer. It's ultimately a mystery. But I am in the more reformed theological camp. And so God is sovereign. But does that mean we just say, well, God, whatever you're going to do, you're going to do, and it doesn't really matter if we pray? No. Exodus 32, Moses interceded and God changed his mind. Woo! Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. Ezekiel 32, he sought for a man to stand in the gap. He found no one and therefore brought judgment. Implying that if he'd have found a man to stand in the gap, he wouldn't have brought judgment. 
At the same time, Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 63 almost uses the same phrase, but it says, He sought for a man, didn't find one. His own arm brought salvation for him. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Exodus 32, sought for a man, didn't find him, therefore he brought judgment. Isaiah 59, Isaiah 63, sought for a man, didn't find one. His own arm brought salvation. So there are times when God does act whether we pray or not. But I think that's the exception, not the rule. I don't think every Muslim who has a dream and gets converted to Jesus is because somebody was praying for them. Maybe there's a one-for-one parallel we'll not know until heaven. But I think sometimes God just moves whether we pray or not. But I think that's the exception. I really do. I think the norm is that He works through the prayers of His people. And if we don't pray, it hinders His work on earth. Two books that really talk heavily about this, and both would agree totally with what I just said, is Unless We Pray by Todd Smith, who's the pastor of the church in Dawsonville that's experiencing the revival in the baptismal waters, and then Destined for the Throne, which I've mentioned every week in this series by Paul Bilheimer. Now, Paul Bilheimer takes more of the approach God does nothing but an answer to prayer, which is a John Wesley quote. I think that's a little bit of an extreme, but I do believe that his normal way of working is through the prayers of his people. So let me read from my notes here. He is sovereign, and in his sovereignty he has chosen to use prayer as the means whereby we stay in close connection with him and the mechanism whereby his will gets accomplished on earth. As Paul Bilheimer says in Destined for the Throne, prayer is on-the-job training for co-reigning with God, which will be part of our eternal occupation. So if God is sovereign, why do we need to pray? Because God has sovereignly chose to use prayer to accomplish His will on earth. God has sovereignly chosen to use prayer as one of the primary ways of accomplishing His work on earth, training us to co-reign with Him. Number six, is prayer more than asking? Oh, yes it is. And we talked about that in week one. I love this about prayer. Is that it's much more than asking. It's seeking His face, it's pouring out our heart, it's listening, it's thanking, it's worshiping, it's praising, it's overcoming, it's coming against the powers of darkness. It's just getting on your face and just being in His presence. It's worshiping and ministering to Him. It is so much more than asking. And if your prayer life is only asking, you're missing a huge component of this beautiful, wonderfully complex thing called communication with God. Let it be more than just asking in your own life. And again, using the Lord's Prayer as a guide is a wonderful way to bring in components to prayer that are not just asking for something you need. But it certainly includes asking. And that is clear in Scripture. Number seven, what if I am not righteous enough? Well, I don't feel good enough. And, and Pastor, the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. And I never feel like I'm righteous. I never feel like I'm good enough. I fail every week. Welcome to Christianity. But where is our righteousness? It's in Christ. God has already declared you righteous if you're in Christ. Come on. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, this is where you have to believe truth. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Not in your good works. Not in your being perfect. Not in your doing everything right. Your righteousness, church, is in Christ. Romans 5 and 1, we are justified by faith. 
Justified means declared righteous. This is why Hebrews 2 says you come boldly to the throne of grace. Not throne of works, not throne of performance, not throne of you gave enough money, not throne of you witnessed to five people this week. The ability to come to God in prayer is based totally on the blood of Jesus. And you stand in your righteousness, you stand in His grace. Now does this mean that our lifestyle has no relevance? No. This is the balance again. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Ooh. Regard means hold on to and love it and not be willing to give it up. That's what it means. If you're holding on to sin, if you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend and not in any way convicted or repentant of that, will that hinder your prayers? Yes. Can you still come before God? Yes. But you come and you better confess it. (laughs) So come as you are, but don't stay as you are when you come. Come on. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are when you come. You come into His presence because of grace, but once you're there, if you're, if you're sincere, then He'll begin to, mm, that area, I, I, that's we deal with that. David, you look at that. I had to confess something to a brother before this service today. Yes, that's your pastor. So if you think you had a perfect pastor, you better quit coming here. If you don't, <laughs> I had to go before a brother two minutes before the service and get something cleared up. That happens because the Holy Spirit is working in your life when you're abiding. That's a beautiful thing. Listen, the more you understand the true nature of God, conviction is a wonderful thing, not this humiliating day. You're such an idiot. You're such a jerk. You better resign today because of that. No, that's the enemy would say that. The Lord said, David, I love you so much. I want you to abide in me so freshly and purely. This thing, it needs attention. And then, guess what? You, you, you deal with it and it's gone. And you don't have to deal with it again. I have a clear conscience now because of that. And you can too. The beauty of walking in a clear conscience. You know, we sang about Jesus coming back. If He came back today, is there anything in your life that you would be embarrassed by if He came back today? It's a good question. If he came back today, 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock, Jesus is coming back. Everybody outside, you're watching, he's coming through the clouds. 2 o'clock today. Is there anything, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew he was coming back at 10 or 2 o'clock today, what would you need to deal with between now and 2 so you could welcome him with open arms? That's a great question, isn't it? It's a really good question. Wasn't in my notes, so this is free. And if there's something that's not right, you get it right. You bring it to the cross. You don't do penance. You don't try to pay off your sin. You bring it to the cross. The blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus can purify all unrighteousness. But you and I have to be sincere and repentant and lay it down before Him. And when we do, it's gone. So, that answers the question about being righteous enough. Number eight. What can I do to keep my prayer life fresh? Because again, it can be one of those that, you know, it's going good and then it... And that's just normal. And my biggest advice here 
first of all, to act on conviction that this is important, but then mix it up. Variety is the spice of life. And so do a lot of different stuff. Sometimes take a prayer walk. Sometimes, again, use a notebook. Sometimes pray with others. Sometimes use the Lord's Prayer as a guide. Sometimes use the acts of prayer. A-C-T-S. Adoration. Confession. Thanksgiving. Supplication. Sometimes write out your prayers. I mean, there's so many different things to do. Read good books. Stoddard, you came last Sunday morning. Man, you were so fired up, you almost delayed the worship team in rehearsing. Because you just read this book in almost one sitting and it rocked your life, right? (laughs) I mean, you are so fired up. I love it. Taking it to the next level. Glory to glory. That's what it's all about. So again, here, I talk to other people. Hey, what do you do? What do you do that's me? Gail, what do you do in your... Stephanie, what do you do? You know, talk to each other. Dustin, what do you do to keep your prayer life fresh? That's why the body is so important. I'll tell you, a really, really good book, some good books to use that have biblical prayers. You know, being raised in more of a traditional church, Lutheran, um, you know, where you sometimes prayed the same prayers every week and it just kind of went, um, but then I get saved and I go back and look at the liturgy and I'm like, whoa, there's some good theology here, but it just kind of went over my head when I was a kid. And so I was kind of like, didn't like written prayers until I read the books, Power of a Praying Husband, Stormy O'Martian. Power of a Praying Wife. I didn't read that because I'm not a wife. But Power of a Praying Parent. And man, it powerful prayers that you can pray for your spouse, pray for your kids. And there's books like that out there. All right, number nine. I know this is going to make some of you uncomfortable. Let's stay with the Word. What about praying in tongues? All right, first of all, and this is a review. We've dealt with this before, but not everybody was maybe there that Sunday. There are three kinds of tongues in the Bible. There's Pentecost tongues, there's public tongues, there's prayer language tongues. Pentecost tongues was on the day of Pentecost. They were given the supernatural ability to speak in language they had not studied. The listeners heard the gospel, they got saved. Public tongues is what is primarily addressed in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, where you give a message in tongues in a public service, has to be with interpretation. Prayer language tongues is not the same as public tongues. Prayer language tongues is you just praying to God in a private prayer language, which even F.F. Bruce, a conservative commentary, says of his commentary on Romans 8, that that groaning's too deep for words. Even F.F. Bruce says that could be tongues in a prayer language. And so that's what I'm talking about here, is the prayer language tongues. It's just you praying to God. It doesn't need interpretation because it's not a message for the body. It's just you communing with the Lord. Can you do this in a small group? Yes, if everybody's okay with it. Again, it doesn't need interpretation because it's not a message. It's you praying to God. It's just you praying in a prayer language when you, when you especially don't know what to pray for. I have this gift, and I believe it's available for maybe every believer. If they desire it and seek after it, I really do. I didn't used to believe that. I don't believe public tongues that is to be used only with interpretation is for every believer, but I, I, I'm leaning strongly toward believing that this is a beautiful thing. It has enhanced my prayer life significantly. I use it more often than ever, and it's just me and the Lord praying. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, it actually builds you up in a good way. Who doesn't want to be built up? I want to be built up. And I'll take anything it takes to build me up in the Lord. It's not a building up in a prideful way. It's a building up 
to be stronger in the Lord. Just like an athlete, he wants to get strong. He wants to build himself up to be strong on the field. And so anyway, if you want to talk more about this, I am more than available even to walk you through a possible way to receive this. But again, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not pushing it on anybody. We'll never push that gift here. But, I'll, but I will say I have found it a beautiful thing. Why? And I would just challenge you, if you have no interest in this, why would you not want something that God calls a gift? Why, why would you not want something that God says will enhance you and build you up? Just saying. All right, number 10. What about when I don't see answers? Here's a biggie. We pray we don't see answers many long time in coming. Well, remember, there's three answers to every prayer. Yes, no, and wait. Now, the wait's the hard part. When it's yes, we give praise to God, we love it. The no, James 4, 2, you have not because you ask not, you ask and don't receive because you ask with impure motives. And then there's the wait, and Chuck Swindoll once said, waiting is the hardest thing in the Christian life. So that's kind of what I'm addressing here is that waiting. And I'd say three things here. First of all, God could be building your faith. If you look at Luke 18, 1 to 8, Luke 18, 1 to 8, he told them a parable to the effect that they should always pray and not lose heart. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that day who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? And then at the end he says, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So sometimes delayed answers is because God is building our faith. It can also be secondly because Satan is opposing. There's a stronghold. Daniel 10, I heard your prayer the first day you prayed it. It took 21 days to overcome the prince of Persia. That was a demonic stronghold. So sometimes it's delayed because we have to keep pushing in, hitting that wall. World War II, I've been, man, I just watched three-part documentary on Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Profound. Profound, you guys. We were battling in World War II. We were battling Japan. We were in North Africa. Then we had to consider France and the Germans. And this week, we celebrate D-Day when the tide of the war turned. I'm telling you what. Unbelievable what this nation was able to accomplish in overcoming the depression and then kicking in the you-know-what our adversaries in World War II. This, this documentary ended by saying a thousand years from now, People will be saying, assuming we still have democracy and capitalism, we have FDR to thank for But anyway, we had to attack, and it didn't come overnight. D-Day was the beginning, but man, we had to keep going, taking different territory, taking more territory. That's the way prayer is sometimes, when there's strongholds. Remember Jesus said these, these kind. Hey, hey, Jesus, we couldn't cast those demons out. Matthew 17, 21. Jesus said these kind only come out by prayer and fasting. What kind? A real strong stronghold. <laughs> there, there's, there's footholds, there's toeholds, and there's strongholds, and there's strong strongholds. And when you've got a strong stronghold, it doesn't just get delivered and broken through overnight. And so sometimes that is, that's the way it is with prayer. Number three, we're learning to overcome. God is training us to be overcomers. And overcoming sometimes 
is blood, sweat, and tears. The stronger the stronghold, the more persistence it takes. Roe v. Wade was not overturned overnight. Come on. I believe Roe v. Wade was overturned largely because there were knees on the carpet, boots on the ground. There were knees on the carpet, interceding, praying for those precious children who were being slaughtered in the womb. But there are also boots on the ground, people taking action and doing things that were helpful to overturn that. We know there's other issues today, beloved, where we need knees on the carpet and boots on the ground. Number 11, it's an offshoot of number 10. What if I don't see an answer I believe is God's will? You're praying for something that you fervently believe is God's will, the salvation of somebody, physical healing, maybe getting free from an addiction, a troubled marriage. How could it not be God's will to save that marriage? How could it be not God's will to save that person? You're praying and it doesn't seem to be happening. What's, what's the deal there? Well, four things real quick. First of all, realize we're, we live in a fallen world where there's germs and cancer and we're not immune to that, even with physical stuff. And then secondly, there's free will. There's free will that plays into the equation. Number three, there's full healing that will come one day, hallelujah. And this is primarily speaking about physical healing I'm talking about. When I had that class from D.A. Carson... He said, be, be aware, beware of over-realized eschatology. In other words, there's the now and the not yet. We don't get all what that's coming in the not yet now. Can't expect heaven on earth. So there's the, the, the battle. For me personally, physical healing has been one of the biggest areas. I, we're to pray, we're to believe. There's a ton in Scripture about healing. But I also think there's times when God doesn't heal. And, and Paul's thorn in the flesh, I believe, was something physical. I know others differ on that. But the bottom line is, the final one is we seek His face, not His hands. We surrender to Him even if we don't get the answer we want. That's hard, isn't it? God, even though I'm not getting what I believe is even Your will, I'm going to seek Your face. And I'm going to submit to You. And I'm going to surrender to You because my relationship with You is more important than this prayer being answered the way I think it should be. But even that is a higher level of glory to submit to God when things go a certain way that may not be what you desire and what you even believe is the will of God. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, Ryan, you said in your testimony to the men, you know, how many people prayed for you and told you if you just had enough faith, get out of that wheelchair. And you've believed and you've trusted and you've been with all the, char- the best of the charismatics. <laughs> but you're settled now, aren't you? You're settled that this is your thorn in the flesh. And that through this, you are having a heightened influence in ministry. I mean, dude, what you said in the men's breakfast was profound. You're living exactly what I just said. Because you're seeking His face. You've sought His hands and that's appropriate. Ask. (laughs) Be the persistent widow. But at the end of the day, if He says like He did to Paul, Three times he pleaded, take it away, God. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. And so, faith at one of the highest levels, listen, listen, faith at one of the highest levels is trusting God when there's no apparent reason to except that he's God. 
Faith at one of the highest levels is trusting and holding fast to God when there's no apparent reason to except that He's God. And that's reason enough. Finally, what if I struggle praying with others? I find it easier to pray with others than by myself, but for some it's the opposite. And here I just say, practice makes perfect. It's not an either or. We are commanded to pray alone. We're commanded to pray with others. And so just step in and... and uh, the more you do it, the easier it'll get. And I, I want to implore us as a body, as much as possible, to make Wednesday nights this summer a priority. When we gather here, we worship, and we have a short, short, short message, but we mostly pray. We mostly pray. Well, I hope this has been helpful. Now, we are going to go into a time of communion. So I want to encourage you to begin to prepare your hearts. If our servers could get ready those that uh, are responsible for the table would come. Worship team, if you'd come up. Today we are going to partake of both the bread and the juice together as a symbol of our unity. And I hope as I walk you through this, it's a model of how to take communion. So that you guys can, as soon as you're ready, begin to pass the bread. No, bread first. Bread first. Uh, and by the way, if you need the gluten-free, it's right here. You can either come up on your own. Yeah, just come up on your own uh, as they're passing the elements. If you need the gluten-free, it's right here. But don't pass that last tray. Hold the bread, please. Take this time to prepare your heart. To allow the Lord to search your heart. Remembering again the balance of our righteousness in Christ but also if there's something that He convicts you of, to confess it to Him. And if you need to go to a brother or sister, do that as well. But hold the bread, and I will instruct us when to partake. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, He took bread. When He had given thanks, He said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. By the way, if parents want to go get their children to come back and partake, you're welcome to go get them out of children's church. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. You can see the seriousness of this. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So as you pass the bread, hold it. Use this time during this song to prepare your heart and to deal with anything the Lord shows you you need to deal with. And then I will come up and have us all partake of the bread together.
He's acquainted with our grief. A man of sorrow, son, son.